Greetings and welcome to the Cathartic Yardstick with your hosts Ray and Mark. It's been said that every chaos has an order hidden in it. In this episode, your intrepid hosts find some hidden order to the universe by creating our personal top five lists. As you'll find out, together we form a necessary paradox rather than a senseless contradiction. But then again, I'm the only one who can say cigar box. Welcome to the Cathartic Yardstick Podcast with Ray and Mark, coming to you live once again from our uh, separate broadcast studios. Hey, Mark. Hi, Ray. How are you? I'm okay. I'm broadcasting from Cathartic Yardstick's southern studio. That's right. And I'm in the northern station. Ooh. The northern affiliate. It's going to be raining, freezing rain, steeding, freezing snow tonight. So tomorrow's commute is going to be a beaut if I go in. Oh, oh. must be nice to have that uh, option. I always have that option. I'm like Johnny Carson. That's right. Oh, so I was looking into, you know, since we've been talking about doing this professionally, that uh, I need to do a little bit of voice work and maybe I need a voice coach. So I looked in online for, um, for classes in the area. And there is a new school of, well, it's a school of new media. And uh, they do stuff like, you know, podcasting and um, YouTube and all that stuff. And that's, that's one of the things they, they focus on. I'll coach you. So, oh, well, that would be helpful. Here's the first class. You is for umbrella. We take it lest it rain. We hope we shan't need it till we're home again. How's that? Was that from a Beatles record? No, that's from oh. uh, James Bond. Diamonds are forever. Oh, I, I didn't, didn't really see any of the James Bond movies. Not, not a genre that I uh, I like very much. Probably because it's too manly. Uh, I think so. Too much testosterone. You know, it's interesting. I have a running joke with my daughters, but um, there used to be a couple of parts of James Bond's movies that uh, stood out as not aging well into into the twenty first century. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of funny, as time goes on, there are more and more parts of the old movies that just, ooh, they just do not age well at all. They're very cringeworthy, worthy. But yeah, Sean I Connery, what are you going to do? I saw an analysis once of, uh, given how much James Bond drinks, how much of a drinking problem would he have in real life? And he was like off the charts. Well, he's an assassin. I mean, in the books, that's one of his biggest problems is that he has principles, and yet they send him out to be an assassin. So he's very conflicted. He knows he could die tomorrow, next week. Mm-hmm. So he's just living in excess, you know. So it's yeah. kind of interesting. The books are very interesting. Oh, so, so getting back to the, uh, the the school of new media, uh, it happens. I'm sorry. To be, I'm sorry to distract you. Well, that's okay. It, it happens to be in the very building that I, I worked in for 23 years. Uh, we moved out wow. in 2015, and we just trashed the place when we moved out. We had to rip out all our uh, workstations and the cubicles and the wiring. And when we left, there was you know, just wires hanging down from the ceiling and broken ceiling tiles, and it looked like a bomb went off in there. And, and now that is where the uh, the radio school is, is in that same same building. Wow. How much will you give me if your first class is pronounce cigar box? Well, say maybe, it five times. <laughs> maybe you have to submit a list of things you can't say, and they'll, they'll help you work on it. Just let, give me the email of your instructor, and we'll have some fun. <laughs> That's kind of interesting. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, that, that's that's a retirement thing. Uh, I definitely can't do that now. But uh, if this looks like it's something that might take off, then 
I, I think I, I need to uh, level up to, to your level here. Well, just remember, for those of you out there listening, remember to go to the Cathartic Yardstick website, which is what, Ray? What's our address? CatharticYardstick.com. You just can't miss it. And so just go there and let us know what topics you want to hear about. And you advertisers out there, you know, be patient. It's going to take a while. I mean, our, our requests are very heavy, but we'd be happy to have you sponsor the show. Uh, the exposure you'd get is uh, there, there just aren't words to say how far our exposure goes. You could have tens of listeners hearing <laughs> your advertisements. We are a legend that will live a lunchtime. Right. Uh, and, and I'm working on getting us on iTunes. Um, surprisingly, there isn't a lot of documentation out there about that. One of the things you have to do is set up an RSS feed, and uh, it's an XML file. But the, the XML specs are nowhere to be found unless you can you know, download them somewhere. But I, I found very little on it. So they don't make it easy. Wow. That would be cool. Technically, it's easy. You just you know go online on iTunes software and submit your podcast. You know, just give them the the uh, the name and the, uh, the the URL. But beyond that, uh, what you need to make that work is not particularly well documented anywhere. Baby steps, man. Yeah. All right. Well, tonight's uh, tonight's podcast, tonight's episode is uh, about top fives, which is which is a thing you, you see that that a lot in different places. People listening top five things. Now, these aren't definitive top fives. These aren't necessarily the best in each category. These are just things that, when you mention it, they just roll off the, the tip of your tongue. These are the things that, like, are, you know, maybe you like, maybe you know they're not the best, um, but they're, they're things that work for you. So and we've got a couple of different categories. So the first one is movies. So you want to do this? Uh, I'll say my first one. You say your first one. We'll go down the list. Okay, I should I should say a proviso though, and part of this depends how your it's so subjective, and it depends how your brain is organized. For some of my other categories, you'll probably be shaking your head, going, "How in the world does this brain work? Where's this coming from?" And what what I find when it comes to the like the arts is um, I will have very few. Far and away, my absolute favorite is readily identified. There there are a few of them that really stand out to me. Uh, for different reasons, and um, and so it's a very cluttered place, you know. But I have lots of lots of favorites, but it's kind of hard to pick one. So what I have is what my personal ones are, and I can tell you why. Yeah, I also found that mine kept changing. Like I do a couple of them, and then I'd go back a few days later and look at it, and then end up end up changing it to something else, mm. uh, which I think is would probably happen to anybody. You know, you, you, you oh I forgot about that one, or I forgot about this, and then you end up changing them. So for, for movies, now these aren't necessarily what we think are the, the top five movies that have ever been made, but these are the ones that we like that, you know, if, you, if, if you're watching, you know, flipping through channels and it's on, you'll, you pretty much always stop and watch it. So my first one was Spirited Away, an anime by uh, Miyazaki, um, and it's just a, a brilliant movie. Uh, it, I um, can't remember what year it was released in the United States, but... Uh, all the Studio Ghibli movies are, are just amazing, and this is probably their best. And why does it stand out to you? as Why, why is it your favorite? Because there's so much in it. I mean, uh, apart from just the mythology and the imagery and, and the music, uh, the story is pretty complex. There's all, you always see something a little bit different uh, when you watch it again, um, and it, it's just very well done. Also... 
it, it was it was brought to the American screen uh, through Disney, so the dub version is a little bit Disney-fied, uh, and it's a little bit different movie if, if you watch the uh, the version with subtitles because you get the original voice actors in it, and some of the translations aren't really close to what the Disney version is saying. So that gives you a, like a whole other perspective on the movie also. Hmm, interesting. My favorite movie, the one I would put in number one position, is a 1949 movie with Gregory Peck, 12 O'Clock High. And the reason why I picked that one is that, it, you know, I think it's a great, a great movie that's very atypical of its time um, because it deals with uh, really combat stress and PTSD uh, before they knew what to call it. Uh, but it, it dealt with um, the decision to go with round-the-clock bombing of Germany in World War II. The uh, Royal Air Force, the RAF, was bombing at night <laughs> when they were hard to see. Uh, but somebody had to bomb in broad daylight. And so the Americans picked that up. And they were losing bomber crews right and left. And it was just a war of attrition. They had to keep sending crews out there in, in what they would call a maximum effort. And so the question kept being raised of what's a maximum effort and they just didn't know. Um, and so they kept going up and fighting. And so the question is in terms of leadership, what are the traits of a good leader? What happens if you get really close to your men? So you're really one of them. Are you still a good leader? What if you are too much of a hard ass? Um, and what's the balance? What's the price you pay? And, and so it's very much, um, not of its time, uh, but it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've, I have not seen it, unfortunately. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, it's really good. All right, my number two was The Ten Commandments. Uh, wow. Tra- Charlton Heston, uh, Cecil B. DeMille, uh, you know, old Hollywood, big Hollywood movie. Um, it's just, it's a huge movie. It's just great. There's, uh, I don't know, I, I never get tired of watching watching it. And it's some, the acting is horrible. Some of it's over the top. Uh, but it's just, uh, it's a great movie. Um, much, much like Ray, my second favorite would have to be one of great renown, uh, like that, but, um, High Plains Drifter with, uh, Clint Eastwood. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. I've seen I that. I love, I love Westerns. I always have, and I love Clint Eastwood Westerns, but High Plains Drifter, um, is just great because, um, you can take it as a cowboy movie. You can take it as a supernatural movie. What's it, what's it exactly about? And who is uh, the man with no name? You know, it's kind of interesting. It's fun. Number three. Number three. Uh, my number three choice was Ex Machina, uh, which is a, a science fiction film that came out in 2015. It's, uh, it's basically got a cast. Well, three, four people in the cast, small cast. And it's just just amazing. I, I never get tired of watching it. Just three outstanding performances. For well, there's one character who has a smaller part, but uh, outstanding performances from everybody. Um, just the right blend of uh, practical effects and special effects, and this, these um, CGI stuff is absolutely flawless in it. And it's not overdone. And and it's just really really a great movie. And it, it has a lot of perplexing questions about you know artificial intelligence and free will and uh, ethical issues around those sorts of things uh, and uh, and how we treat our, our toys 
Now, listeners may start getting the impression that Ray and Mark do not share movie night. Uh, and that would be true. That would be true. If there's cartoons at the beginning, I'll go. <laughs> they don't do that anymore. I know. Remember that the Pink Panther ones? Yeah. Used to show all the time. That was, that was great. Probably the next movie in line for me is a 1965 movie with Gregory Peck again, but it was called Mirage. Um, I thought it was really great. Uh, there was a, a big uh, blackout on the eastern seaboard in 1965. And um, later on that year, there was a movie um, about, about a big blackout in New York City. Um, but what happens is when the lights come back on, Gregory Peck has amnesia. And he keeps having these disturbing flashbacks of a guy falling out a window. And as he's trying to figure out who he is and why he's having these flashbacks, people are trying to abduct, abduct him or kill him. Mm. And so uh, as he's trying to have people help him, um, these people are pursuing them as well. And so the whole movie is how he's trying to piece together who he is and why this is happening. But it's a really good movie. It, it's very Alfred Hitchcock-esque, but it's not Alfred Hitchcock. Good yeah. movie. I do remember that blackout. Yeah. Uh, I was in second grade and uh, we were affected and... I think it was it was probably made such an impact because no one was prepared for something of that that scale. I mean, we've had I, I guess we've had some that have been pretty bad since then, but that was like the first time I remember so much being blacked out and there just weren't systems in place to to make up for it. So for those of you on the west of the Rockies uh, or young, you know, what what basically happened uh, as I understand it is um, back in the old days, uh, power was routed in different ways, and the grid was much more interconnected than it is now. And so there was a power surge, I think, up in Canada somewhere, and it just traveled all the way down the eastern seaboard, blowing things out. Right. As one line shorted out, it would transfer to the line next to it, I guess, or some, some sort of similar switching scheme. And then it just it just multiplied and just hit, set off a cascading failure that went all through the system. And it was days, wasn't it, before everybody had their lights on again? Yeah, I feel as like I it recall. Was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was quite some time. But uh, you can you can find references to the Great Blackout uh, on on YouTube, and it's kind of interesting. You'll see the you know like the CBS Evening News, um, you know the, from the New York Bureau uh, with auxiliary lighting and power and everything. It's kind of interesting. And let me say one more tidbit about that blackout. Little known fact, in New York City, they were playing, um, the the big hit at the time was Everyone's Gone to the Moon. Remember that song? Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to sing it. But anyways, but they were playing it in New York City, and the disc jockey kept restarting the record because it wasn't playing at the right speed, and he couldn't figure out what was going on. And it was because the power fluctuation wouldn't give uh, the right rotations, wouldn't, wasn't exactly 45 RPM. Yep. You know, we could, we could edit in that song right now and it'd be as if we had it queued up. That's right. That's right. What a coincidence. <laughs> we never knew. Yeah. All right. Number four. My number four choice is Last Waltz, the great uh, Martin Scorsese uh, documentary about the final concert of the band. Wow. And, I knew I'd recognize one of your movies. Yeah. Actually, I recognized... Ten Commandments as yeah. well. I've heard of them before. It's just such a great time time capsule. You know, seventies music. It's pretty much the peak of seventies music, and and everybody's in it, and they're great. And Michelle had a great observation because I was watching it last week. She said, "Neil Diamond's just never going to be cool, is he?" <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. 
But there's a great version. I love the clip of uh, the weight done with like the staple singers. Yeah. It's like, that's so good. And one of the the absolute best points uh, in the movie is actually during that piece, because if you listen closely, right before they cut away and they've kind of sung the last note, Mavis Staples just whispers, beautiful. And it was just, hmm. it's just so nice. You, you almost miss it if you, unless you're looking for it. So they impressed themselves. Yeah, it came out great. Yeah. It really did. So my next movie in line is a movie called Frequency. Remember Frequency? Tell me, tell me, tell me more about this Frequency. It sounds familiar. Well, it's in- interesting. I think, I think the movie was a 90s era movie. And... I connect because I have daddy baggage and, you know, everybody's got daddy baggage. But, you know, it's a great movie. Uh, The movie is about um, this firefighter who, um, in 1969 or whatever, he's really into ham radio. Mm -hmm. And so he has this ham radio set up. And at night, he, um, you know, he's um, always playing with the ham radio and stuff like that. And ultimately, he dies in a fire, but he leaves behind a young son. Fast forward, the young son becomes a New York City cop, kind of troubled. Uh, But at night, what he does to kind of relax um, is he picks up his dad's hobby, and he's playing with uh, the ham radio. And because of properties we don't fully understand, he ends up talking to this guy who turns out to be his dad. And um, what's really interesting is... Uh, they're talking to each other. The dad's helping him solve a homicide. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really interesting. It's about sons bonding when they never had a chance to bond. And so it, it hits home. But I thought it was a really well done movie. It's kind of a sleeper movie. Never got much uh, promotion and whatnot in terms of it's not the kind of movie to win an Oscar. But it's the kind of movie I will always watch when it's on. Who, who was in that? Was it was Nicolas Cage or no? I can't remember. Oh, I want to say... Um, what is it? Jim Cazavell and um, Dennis Quaid. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I think I, I remember that when it came out. It, uh, uh, But I just didn't have a chance to see it. Yeah. I have a great memory for this stuff. It's you do. It's really amazing. <laughs> it's not like we edited that and looked it up. No. No. That would be cheating. Yes. No. All right. Number five. My number five choice is Napoleon Dynamite. Which was a brilliant little movie. It just, uh, I loved it. Uh, about kind of an awkward guy trying to find his way in uh, in Idaho. And he seems like he's a little out of time sync. Like he's living in the 80s and it's actually you know happening in, in the 90s or something. It just, uh, it was a good movie. Oh, cool. Yeah, probably my fifth favorite movie. And I had to work a Star Trek movie in there. So I put Wrath of Khan. Because I think out of all the Star Trek movie, that is the closest to having the pacing of the TV show. Yeah, that was that was a, a great flick. movie. Yeah, he's quoting Melville. I mean, that's good. I mean, Khan, it's pretty good. I don't think I saw that with you. I did see the first Star Trek movie with you. You did? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, cool. We went to uh, whatever theater that was north of the Latham Circle. It's no longer there. I have heard that the director's cut is much better than what was shown in the cinemas. And I'm convinced that if they sat down with the outtakes and they really re-edited the movie, uh, that could be a much better movie. Now, interestingly, that's Mike's favorite Star Trek because it's most Trek-like in terms of the story. 
Interesting. You know, Voyager turning into V'ger and mm-hmm. coming home, you know, that kind of thing. That's a very, very Star Trek-ish. But what I, what I found painful was just the fact that you want to see the power and majesty of the Enterprise. So let's do a fly around the Enterprise. Meanwhile, 25 minutes later, as you're still flying around the thing <laughs> to this great cinematic score, and I'm sound asleep in the chair, parts of it just dragged needlessly. But they could trim here and there and work in some outtakes and make it move along faster. I think it'd be a better movie. Yeah, I think it was good, too. And the cast was still, I think, into it. It's not like, you know, they're slogging through the fifth or sixth movie and they don't really seem to care. They're just dialing it in. Uh, I think they were really trying on that one. Yeah, and they they look good, too. I mean, they're still young, relatively young from, uh, from when the series ended. It was only like 10 years, I guess. But, uh, yeah, so that's that's what I would round out my number five. Okay. Um, the, the other uh, Star Trek movie, I can't remember which one it was. It might have been six. Um, Christopher Plummer was a, a old Klingon commander who was quoted it the undiscovered country or something. Like that? Yeah, that was, yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, I liked his eye patch put in with nails. It was kind <laughs> <Yeah>. of, <laughs> nice touch. Yeah, that's got to hurt. That's probably how I lost the eye to begin with. You know. Right. Okay. All right. Shall we move, move on to the next category? It's TV shows. TV shows. Number one, and this is pretty much a recency uh, effect because I just finished binge-watching it, is The IT Crowd, uh, which is a British sitcom. There were, I think there were about maybe 30 episodes. No, maybe not that many. But it was just, it was just brilliant, and, and every episode was just well done. Kind of like Faulty Towers, that sort of very mm-hmm. intense, compact, kind of very choreographed comedy it was uh it was good i'd have to go with star trek probably my favorite tv show of all time i the mean original the, one, the, right? the original one yeah. right the, the the quality wasn't always up there like spock's brain i mean that wasn't necessarily <laughs> a strong time <laughs> but some of the stories were just so good and the interplay between the characters really made the show timeless and it really was the first adult space show you know yeah and they said that be, because they could put in this fictional universe they they could take on a lot of serious contemporary social issues and get away with it and that stuff would never fly in a a, a straight uh you know drama show right and, w- and what i also liked about it is i think yeah I, I always think with music and with television that wants to teach a larger point what's so great is do it in such a non-threatening way where it just gets in people's heads and they start making sense of it and it gets behind the defenses and everything. It's really done in a nuanced fashion. And that's what I liked about the themes in Star Trek. You have to think about them. And what's the applicability to what's going on today or what was going on then. And I think too often now in cinema and in shows, uh, all they have is a two by four to beat you in the face with it. You know what I mean? And I, right. I think it's it loses the nuance, the quality of the writing to be thought provoking. And it becomes like an assault like everything else today. Yeah, it is interesting though. As much as they tried to uh, create this this utopian world in the future, uh, where you know there was equality between men and women and different races, the women still were bringing coffee and wearing short skirts. That's right. So they, they didn't quite get there. That's right. They were trying though. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, my number two, Star Trek. Oh, good. Yeah. So we're in the, in the same zip code. That's pretty good. But the, the original show, I thought that um, all the other ones, except for maybe um, 
uh, Deep Space Nine uh, weren't weren't quite as good. Some of the the DS Nine episodes were were you know, definitely up to the quality of the the original show. Yeah, there there were only um, like uh, only a couple of the series of the follow on series to Star Trek that I bothered really following. Uh, Deep Space Nine never really did it for me. Um, Voyager never really did it for me. Next Generation I thought was good. Um, that was that was fun to follow, and also the last series Enterprise um, was pretty good. It got kind of weird and kind of lost its way, uh, which is too bad because it got canceled by the time it, it found its way again. But I thought it was it was good. Yeah, I thought there was a little too much fan service going on with uh, Enterprise and the Next Generation. Uh, fan service. Fan service. What, what do you mean? That's a, a term from anime where where characters get put in situations where they're like in bathing suits and stuff like that, just to. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there, there was a lot of that going on in the Next Generation, uh, right? And also in in Enterprise, because didn't they yeah. have a thing where to decontaminate they have to rub stuff all over? Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of the stuff is like, give me a break. Yeah, give me a break. It's, it's so obvious. Right, but I mean, I think one of the one of my favorite, probably my favorite, if I had to pick one favorite um, next generation episode, was the one where they run across Scotty. Um, remember that one? Oh yeah, he was, was like so in, stuck in a transport beam circuit or something. Right, he was trying to figure out a way to keep himself alive, and all the life support was running down. So he put himself in a transporter buffer and just repeated the cycle. Mm-hmm. So he's basically held in electronic stasis. And so they they come in, they materialize him. But now you've got Scotty, who used to be the master of everything technological. He's a dinosaur now. He's worthless. He's got nothing to offer aboard the new Enterprise. And so there's a great scene where uh, it's my favorite scene. And I seek it out on YouTube sometimes to watch it. And I go, damn, that was good. But he uh, he goes on the holodeck and he recreates the bridge of the Enterprise, the old Enterprise, Mm -hmm. with with the same bridge noises. And a Picard comes and joins them on the bridge of the old Enterprise, and they talk about why why the first ship you're on, uh, nothing else. I mean, other ships will be technologically more advanced, but they're nothing compared to the first time. You know, it's really good good dialogue between the two. Yeah, my favorite episode of the Next Generation. I can't remember the name of the episode. Was where uh, Picard lived a whole lifetime in a matter of minutes. Basically, uh, they, they ran into a, a probe. And it zaps him, and he uh, he goes into oh, like a dream state. That. Yeah, yeah. And it was yeah. their way of passing along that their culture, that the, you know, was a, was a dying civilization. I think their son was gonna, going supernova or something, and and uh, he got to experience this whole lifetime, and, and you know, lived a whole life on this planet in this society uh, in, in a matter of I think minutes. What's your number two, Mark? My number two, I would probably have to reach back and pick something like Wild Wild West. Um, I used to have a lot of fun watching that show. Again, again, I like Westerns. And what this did was it took the, the James Bond craze that was going on in the 60s, but it basically dedicated it to the Secret Service post-Civil War. And, of course, they came up with all these gadgets and wild characters and stuff like that. But it was fun to watch, uh, Robert Conrad. They had great villains. Uh, Michael Dunn as, as Dr. Yep. Loveless was just yep. a, a great character, uh, a great part for him. And uh, it was also uh, a, basically a steampunk theme show before there even was the term steampunk. Uh, steampunk. Steampunk. Explain. Explain. Steampunk is, uh, it's kind of a 
derived from cyberpunk. It's um, it's retro futuristic things. So hmm. it's like you know Victorian uh, Victorian science fiction, and that's really okay. what the Wild Wild West was was Victorian science fiction. Okay, your number three. My number three is Mash. Good show. Now I, I do have some problems with it. It became just a little too self conscious towards the end. And a little bit, obviously, preachy. But overall, through its run, it was just an amazing show. Yes, it was good. It, it was good. And it's kind of interesting how it lasted much longer than the Korean War did. But, yeah, I, I always thought it was, it was fun to watch. It was a good, good show, good, good themes it would hit on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, it, would, it was always caricatures, um, but it was, it was good to watch. Yeah. Good writing. My number three is Twilight Zone. Ah. Submitted for your approval. Wait, 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 wait. Go ahead. You're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey through a wondrous land whose only boundaries are that of imagination. There's your signpost up ahead. The next stop, the Twilight Zone. All right. (laughs) <laughs> now, now, the fact that I can actually reach under the bed of my mind and amongst the dust bunnies, pull that out, um, shows you that I watch the show a lot. Yeah, interesting. Well, you know what's funny is that was my number four. Oh, Twilight wow. Zone. <laughs> All right, see? We're friends for a reason. We had stuff to talk about. Yeah, it was just, uh, again... They took on a lot of very serious uh, social and political issues in a way that was kind of safe because it was science fiction, and I think they got away with a lot. I'm sure they had to f- fight with the uh, the censors, you know, standards and practice all the time on that show. But it was brilliant, and Rod Serling, as brilliant as he was, sometimes felt like he was a failure because he was never able to make it on the onto the big screen. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, he was a master. He was from uh, Rochester, I think, Rochester, New York. All right, so what's what's your number four? My number four, I would I would have to go with. Uh, remember the TV show Emergency? Yeah, I loved I loved that show. Something about me as I was growing up, trying to think of what I'd want to do with a career, is um, there's something about we all live our lives and but we're insulated from the threats from the outside. It's like we're the police will answer that call or the firemen will go to the fire or whatever. And part of me always thought it would be interesting to be on that front line, um, just see what really happens, you know. And so uh, I, I used to watch Emergency um, religiously, and it was about really the first the first paramedics. Yeah, Gage and DeSoto. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, out in Los Angeles, and it really uh, made the public aware of what paramedics do. Got them all kinds of support. And to this very day, uh, Randolph Mantooth um, is still asked to speak at various you know paramedic you know promotional events and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, it's it was it was a, a great show, and that's why I thought I think it's kind of interesting when you fast forward. I was thinking of, um, for a long time, actually going to the State Police Academy. Um, But the reason why I didn't is the fact that I think a lot of what they do has to be muscle memory. You just react Mm -hmm. before you fully think it through. And my problem is I over-reflect on everything. 
Uh, so by the time, it, <laughs> by the time <laughs> I would figure out if something was dangerous or not, I'd be laying on the ground. And so, um, and so uh, I figured that's that's not good. So I ended up going to law school, but joining the army and everything. It's kind of kind of interesting between um, doing the criminal stuff that I've done and also joining the army. Kind of stays true to what's really happening on the front line mm-hmm. that most people wouldn't see. That's what's always what's interested me. Interesting. Yeah. All right. And my final TV show is Lost, which ended, I guess, about 10 years ago, maybe longer. It was a good show. The first couple seasons were great. Uh, The problem is they they didn't know how to end it. And uh, especially the first season was just absolutely brilliant. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw any of those. Uh, No. It's kind Uh of a mystery show where this plane crashes on this island and... Pretty much the whole couple first first couple seasons is just them trying to figure out where they are and what's going on and how they came to be there, and a lot of it's just flashbacks to their backstories. And it's uh, it was very well done, but I I think they started the show not knowing where they were going to go, and I don't want to give away any spoilers in case anyone hasn't seen it. But basically, what the producers had said all along the show wasn't about turned out to be what it was about. Hmm. Because I think they just had no idea how they were going to end it. Wow. Well, probably fifth position for me would be a show like Cheers. That was that was a really funny, entertaining show, I thought. Yeah, and they were really able to rotate people through the, the cast there, and it just it didn't lose any strength. It just, I think, kept getting better. Exactly. Exactly. And that's that's I always thought that was a testament to the writing, the fact that they could you know, have a character die and come up with a replacement that was completely different but hysterically funny mm-hmm. and bring bring in like a new character that ends up like Frasier. Frasier was like a new character that came out of nowhere and, and he ended up, you know, with his own show later on. But it was just great. Yeah, Very good. I, well I, done. I think he was probably brought, brought in just for a limited run on that and it just ended up being a permanent character. Yep. All right. Now this this is an interesting category, influencers which could be pretty much anything. And uh, my number one is Andy Warhol. Ooh, why? Andy Warhol. Well, artistically, I, I really I really admired the work that he did. The whole pop art thing was largely, uh, was largely him. He created a whole uh, artistic community around him. Uh, it, was, it was like a whole lifestyle he created at, at the factory. And I, I really admired that. And if you like, look at the Christmas cards that I do. They're kind of inspired by his work. You know, silk screening, the kind of the way he did it, especially like this year's card with the you know the two different colors. Um, and uh, I, I really admire what he was trying to do. Wow, interesting. Yeah, for me, um, and I, as I go through my list here, I realize that I may have not totally finished it i thought i did um but i i for my personal influencers um for me it was always um right within the family um you know i picked i picked first my dad daddy issues mm-hmm. um but no it's like be, being young and watching a dad dress up in a suit take off from work you know in a briefcase I thought I don't know what that guy does, but it's pretty hot duties. I mean, I, so when I when I <laughs> when I work, I want to be a suit. That's what I want to do. I want to be an exec or something. Um, and so that 
always uh, and, and plus within the house. Uh, of course, it was it was the early '60s and things were different. Your parents weren't your friends, right? Um, it was different relationships, and so he was always somebody to measure up to, and that was a that was a hard thing to do um, because I can't ever remember a negative word, you know, being spoken. And so that was always like the number one role model trying to measure up and basically saying, okay, if my dad were around, would he be pleased at what I'm doing here? Or would he basically say, yeah, you keep trying. Um, and so I, I, I put that as number one. Interesting. Um, you know, I grew up in a, a very blue collar family in a blue collar neighborhood and, uh, it's very different atmosphere in that kind of a situation because it's you know it's like don't you know don't do what I'm doing you can do better uh, you know strive for more you know move out of you know move beyond this right and what's interesting in our reality you know right around and you know because you're in the Albany area now but um, that was a very blue collar place. I mean, everybody worked at a factory or, I mean, it's, and, and I still notice it now coming out of D.C. I don't realize how used to the locals I get in the D.C. area. And I kind of notice um, when I head up to Albany, um, you know, there's, there's definitely more, more of a mix of people than it used to be. Uh, but it still has the roots of being kind of a, a blue collar industrial kind of place, I think. And um, what I noticed is even back then, if you were lucky and you went to college, and of course that that was the ticket to success back then, you were always uh, just, your family was was blue collar and you were the first one to kind of step a little bit beyond that. Right. And so there was a lot of self-consciousness about if you were, you know, if if you were doing a company event at the... uh, at the uh, country club or something like that for General Electric or whatnot, uh, there was a lot of self consciousness about not giving yourself away, right? Because you're not you come from very humble roots, and so it's very interesting. A lot of the a lot of the same thing. Yeah, because my father, instead of putting on a suit, would have his work coveralls rolled up with his belt wrapped around it. He always did it the exact same way because he covered it with oil at work. So he, what did he do? He uh, he worked uh, in a factory. Um, tempering steel oh wow so there's a, a that's neat the associated spring uh, wallace barnes division uh in bristol and uh, he would go in and basically had these giant machines and they would take coils of raw steel that my uncle would process at the mill in another part of town and they load them to these machines and they would basically be running through different types of almost like a blast furnace you know, to temper steel for springs, you have to heat it and cool it at different temperatures and run it through uh, a nitrogen room and run it through molten lead. And there's a whole bunch of stages, and that's where he worked. He worked in straight hardening department. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, it, you know, it, he didn't talk about work. It wasn't, you know, like, like the kind of jobs we have where it's it's part of our identity. It just something you did to support your family, and you didn't really talk about it a lot. And... And that was it. When work was over, you didn't want to think about it kind of thing. Interesting. Yeah. Um, if if I can go out of order, um, unless you want to do your number two. You want to do, what, you want to do your number two? I'm, I'm going to end up doing two through five um, when I do mine. Okay. I'll, I'll do or my, two through four. 
I'll do my number two. My number two is a professor I had in graduate school named Roland Echeverry, and he's kind of responsible for my career path. He, uh, he was a social work professor, but his undergraduate degree was in um, engineering, and he somehow ended up uh, diverted into social work and ended up going back to a technical field, but he was always very interested in computers. And he... He had a terminal in his office at a time when most most professors didn't have a terminal in, in, in their office. And I got a computer account. And he didn't have a lot for me to do. So I said, you know what? Here's some stats books. Here, here's, a, here's a study I'd worked on. I want you to rework some of the stats. But just whatever you want to do, just do it. Le- learn it. Uh, and I started like running jobs for other uh, other professors in graduate school, and uh, I ended up doing consulting before I even, even graduated. That was a, a real turning point for me career wise. It was even before I had actually gotten out into the field. Wow, yeah. that's cool. That's yeah. cool. So you know, I, it would, I had to work two days a week, and most of the time he he wasn't there, and I didn't have set assignments. So I was just free to to experiment, and I I really liked it, and and, and uh, it was very interesting for me. That's neat. Yeah, for for two, three, and four, again, I would have to reach uh, within my own family, and it would be my uh, brothers, my two brothers, uh, and my sister. But a lot had to do with um, they were older siblings, and kind of when the wheels came off our household at a really young age, um, there wasn't a whole lot of adult supervision. So I had to kind of cobble together, who do I want to be? Who you know, what life do I want? I mean, who, how, who do I emulate, you know? And so I was looking inside quite a great deal. So they were all very, very influential in, in shaping who I am. So, but number five, number five will be an external influencer. All right. My number three, how about if I do my three and four and we'll both do our fives? Yes. That Uh, sounds totally logical. I agree. All right. This this is going to surprise you, but number three is Lisa Birnbach. Who is Lisa Birnbach? You might say. She wrote the, the preppy handbook, which was done as a satire, but that was my guidebook to college. Um, it came out when we were at Siena, and I arrived at Siena basically fresh out of eighth grade. <laughs> <laughs> because I was, I, was, I was great then because I put you back in eighth grade. <laughs> you, you did. But then I got to you mature beyond eighth grade. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'd come out of eighth grade, went to the seminary, lived there for four years. It had like kind of in some ways limited contacts with outside society. And, you know, I, I went in the seminary in 73, came out in 77. And, you know, the world was moving along. I was still kind of stuck. And I had no idea what Siena was all about. I, I really couldn't relate to a lot of the people there at the beginning. Uh, I hung out at the campus ministry center a lot. I had no idea what to do, how to dress. So even though it was a satire of preppy society, it really helped me understand things a lot and was my guideline for dressing. The uh, ministry center, is that where you met me? <laughs> yes. No, no. No, uh, we, no. I thought everybody maybe was praying for me. We we're all saying <laughs> the Vina for Mark. Yeah. Please, please don't let him burn in hell forever. <laughs> He'll find his way. Uh, well, you know, the, the campus ministry center was, was a good transition from the seminary. And I remember freshman year, I was there a lot. And, and one of the people who worked there, uh, Father Jerome, actually had, had gone to St. Thomas Seminary. So he, he'd gone there for college and had been there just a few years before I was there. 
All right. Uh, number four. Number four is a website, boingboing.net. A website? A website. A, an influencer? It's an influencer. Top top five influencer? A website? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's it's one of the only websites I read every day. It's, it's uh, not a porn website, is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> Ding. <laughs> we need the bell. All right, we uh, need the bell. Boing boing, it's it's um, <laughs> it's a little bit like <laughs> it's a little bit like Wired magazine before Wired turned into just a gadget magazine. Um, okay, it's it's about art, society, um, sociology, technology. It's it's basically they have a dump a bunch of editors, and they have some that rotate in and out of the staff. And it's whatever they find interesting. And I just find it a, a very interesting website. It, it, a lot of stuff is from Laughing Squid, which is also a good website. But um, uh, boing, boing, if, if you ever want to check out something that's an interesting read every day, check that out. He's fooling you. It's a porn website. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lie. <laughs> <sighs> Yes, don't, don't type boingboing.com. That's right. It's boingboing.net. What was the other one? Like whitehouse.com? You don't want to do that. It's like whitehouse.gov.com. Lead you in a totally wrong direction. Or so I've read. Uh, That's what I've heard, yes. So you're number five. Who's your number five? Number five. Number five. Number five. Joseph Campbell. The soup manufacturer? <laughs> no, the, the no, philosopher. Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> He's just just brilliant and uh, ties together everything from ancient ancient Sumerian text to uh, Star Wars and. Ah, okay. Yes, I have um, a couple of um, external influencers who my major external role models were. Um, but I will go with my first one because there's only five and, and I've used, this will be my fifth, Okay. but it would have to be Tom Kelly on the faculty at Siena. Oh, interesting. Um, what's interesting about Tom Kelly is that I took classes from him to learn about history and I ended up learning more about myself than I did about the subject matter. And the story behind this one was um, when I was, I think, a sophomore at Siena. And actually, I wrote to Tom Kelly in the year 2000, uh, but I'll, I'll more about that in a moment. I took U.S. colonial history, and he was a hard, hard prof. It was, we were coming up on midterms, and I think like 50% of the class had C or lower. Uh, and it was, it was hard. Um, and I remember a friend of mine, I, I, I managed to get out of that class. I mean, I graduated successfully completed the class and a friend of mine basically said hey tom kelly is starting an american studies seminar uh there'll only be three of us in the class <laughs> and so every third week you've got to do like a one-hour presentation in front of uh kelly and so i told my friend are you out of your freaking mind he goes oh no come on come on it'll be fun and so in a temporary lapse of judgment and flight of fancy and insanity i went ahead and i did it um, and it was really the first time I was horribly over my head. And so what I had to do is leverage, I mean, book smart 
wouldn't do it. But I had to leverage the combination of being pretty bright, um, intellectually curious, uh, a good communicator. Um, I enjoyed research and I was a good writer. And so, you know, I had to leverage all those individual skills and blend them into something that would pass muster with Tom Kelly. And sure enough, I mean, it it came together and I started getting A's from the guy and I took American studies every semester uh, to, to the end. Uh, And I was getting A's from him and, um, and I wrote him, he always used to say, when the millennium comes, Kelly goes. And so when the year 2000 was almost upon us, I sent him an email and I basically told him, I said, I think too often in life, people make a really big contribution uh, and they never know about it. They have no clue. So I said, I just wanted to let you know that that was the first time I had to figure out sink or swim. I mean, and, and, and this is how you get by in life. I mean, you've got a hand of cards. You're trying to hide your twos, you know, play your top cards, uh, bluff. I mean, it's, it's a combination. It's how we all succeed and get by. And that was the first lesson for me. And it was the first lab experiment to prove I could do it. And actually in a, in a tough environment. So it meant something. You know, but he was really great. At the end of school, you know, he ended up telling me, um, you know, for law school, he's, he says, you're going you're to be a great lawyer. And I said, coming from Tom Kelly, that meant a lot. And um, yeah, I think he was, he was really touched. Um, and he wrote, wrote me back and basically said, I didn't, I didn't even trust myself to write back immediately because I was on my way to Europe on vacation and I wanted to write to you, but only after I had a couple of weeks to reflect. Mm-hmm. But he says, that's a great note, meant a lot. I think a roommate, Brian, would also say the same sort of thing about, about Tom Kelly, because he took him for the Adirondack studies, mm-hmm. where part of that is you, you go, uh, it, I guess he had a cabin in the Adirondacks, you'd actually go up there and, and spend some time exploring the Adirondacks with him, because he was kind of an, an expert in that area. All right, the last category. The last category. Is Saturday morning shows you liked when, when you were a kid. Why don't you lead off, lead us off on this one? That's just because you're afraid to say the farm report was probably your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Fulton J. Sheen, <laughs> farm film blow up. <laughs> no, my favorite was uh, the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner Hour. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, M- my number one was Rocky and Bullwinkle. Ooh, my my number two was Rocky and Bullwinkle. Ah, there you go. Can't beat the Cold War humor. Yeah. My number two is Beanie and Cecil. Ooh, Beanie and Cecil. I remember them. Yeah. My number three was Johnny Quest. Johnny Quest. The whole Haji thing was a little racist, but it wasn't bad. What do you mean it was racist? (laughs) All right. (laughs) My. Oh, my God. My. The only thing I could be racist about it. Well, I have, to, I have to go back. I would have to go back and see whether he ever solved any crimes. And if they were using him as the mindless foil to just advance the story, yeah, I'd I, say, yeah, it's probably bad. Uh, I, I don't know, but I, I have a feeling that probably won't age well. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it gave it an international flair. It did, it did. All right, number three was the CBS Children's Film Festival. <laughs> Classic films on that. Okay. <laughs> number four, Space Ghost. Space and number four, Ghost. That's right. Number four. That's my penultimate selection. <laughs> Mine was Make a Wish. 
Make a Wish with Tom Chapin. What is that? Is it a telethon or something? No, it was a, it was a, it was a TV show. Make a Wish? Yeah. What? Make a was Wish. Was it a game show? No, it was a... Uh... Was it only in Connecticut? <laughs> no, it was, it was nationally syndicated, I believe. I'm going to look this up. <laughs> Make a Wish. Make a Wish. Tom, I believe Tom Chapin. What's it about? What's it about? Uh, it was kind of a seventies folksy thing. He'd sing some songs and say, and he'd do, you know, you could make a wish to do this, but if you want, I, I, it was a good premise. I think you have to look up some stuff on YouTube too. I really can't adequately describe it. You can't describe it. Okay. But look at, look it up. Well, wait, let me see if only I had a device in front of me. Right. And this is your penultimate selection. Oh gosh. All right. Sorry. I said that now. I'll be saying it at work all day tomorrow, so that's all right. Podcasting with a child. <laughs> Make a wish. I think they stole it from the TV show. I'm going to have to leave here in 15 minutes. This is the penultimate thing I'm going to be doing. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Make a wish. Yeah, Cass was Tom Chapin. Yeah. Harry Chapin's brother. Was it really? I was going to be facetious and say, was it Harry Chapin's brother? No, it was, it was Harry Chapin's brother. Wow. Uh, you would have shown me. 71 to 76, ABC. Oh, okay. Okay. It was... Uh, my, my number five, Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo. Yeah. ruh <laughs> uh, My number five, Schoolhouse Rock. Ooh. Seems to me you were old for Schoolhouse Rock. I probably was a little bit old, but I thought the tunes were catchy. You, were you watching that in college or something? <laughs> no, it was. All right, now I got to look that up. That's How it. a bill becomes law. <laughs> Come on, that was that was complicated. That was. Complicated. We have presidents who don't understand it's com- that. It's complicated. We, now. we have presidents who don't understand how that works. All right, let's see. Schoolhouse Rock. Are you typing to Boing Boing? <laughs> it started in 73, so no, I wasn't too old. Well, I guess okay. I was. 73, yeah. Wow, I was. Yeah. I was too old for that. Wow. Oh, it's got an 8.2 IMDb rating. You should have met me sooner. I... You, you would have been on WhiteHouse.com. <laughs> 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 we would have started WhiteHouse.com. Oh, <laughs> All right, we'll just edit this whole section out. We're, we're going to edit it out from, from when I say the word penultimate. Yeah, except, I was, yeah, I was, oh, okay, all right, because I was going to say, if you don't do that, what's going to be is you're going to have the whole explanation of penultimate, and there will be no last selection. <laughs> People are going, what is this, where is this leading to? This has been the Cathartic Yardstick Podcast. Congratulations, you're one of our top five listeners. Hmm, check it out on Boing Boing. Boing. <laughs>